Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who serve their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veterans Show. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday. Our first segment, we want to pay respects to yesterday, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. We could not do programs like this one without our presenting sponsor. Thank you, as always, to attorney John Boson with Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303 303- Nine 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 ninety nine ninety nine. We will take a look. We'll bookend the show with looks at nine eleven and the last twenty years, of course. And as we start, think about this for a moment. This is the first nine eleven anniversary without U.S. presence in Afghanistan. Isn't that stunning? So this first segment, we'll look back with some archive audio. And because this is the American Veterans Show, we will pay respects to those military service members who were killed in the attacks. And we'll pick it up at the end of the show. Coming up in between two segments with author Colin Cahoon, his book, Mended Wings, the stories of 10 Vietnam veterans who flew helicopters in country. So we'll have that coming up. Glad you're with us as we kick off the American Veterans Show this summer. I want you all to know that America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here, for the workers who work here, for the families who mourn. This nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... 
President Bush there on the megaphone, standing atop rubble with rescuers and those who came to help at Ground Zero. But let's go back to that fateful morning, September 11th, 2001, a Tuesday. Boston, good morning, American 11 with you, passing through 190230. American 11, Boston, center climbing table above 280. American 11, turn 20 degrees, right? Right, American 11. American 11, climbing table above 350. American 11, climbing table level 350. American 11, Boston. Of course, there would be no response. It would later fly into the World Trade Center. This from 1010 Winds in New York. You're listening to live continuous coverage of a plane crash into the World Trade Center this morning. This is 1010 Winds WINS New York. I'm James Faraday. Now for more on the story, 1010 Winds newsman Lee Harris. Good morning, and it is not a good morning in New York City. A major disaster, a plane crash into the World Trade Center. We're on the line with 1010 Winds account executive Joan Fleischer, a witness to this terrible unfolding scene. Joan, could you maybe just recap for those just joining us? Uh, what happened and what you're seeing? Well, shortly, I, I think it must have been 15, 20 minutes ago, I heard a plane overhead that seemed awfully close. And, you know, usually you don't hear them over here, and it was very close. And I looked out of the window and saw a plane, what seemed to be heading for buildings, because it seemed to be too low. It was, it was, it was hardly uh, higher than some of the, the residential buildings around here. And as I was looking, the plane was dipped to the left, and the right side of the plane, heading south, was heading, was heading to the top. And then the next thing I know, I saw um, the plane crash. I came up to the roof, and I can now see where the hole in the World Trade Center is. And it is an enormous hole. Joan, any, any, any sense at all as to the size of the plane? We've been getting conflicting reports that it was a small plane, even that it might have been a passenger airliner, a 737. See, I think it was smaller. As I said before, I, I'm not that familiar, and it was, you know, it's still over my head. I couldn't tell. It wasn't, it didn't seem like it was a tiny plane. You know, it didn't seem like it might have been a four-passenger or anything like that. It seemed larger than that. But, again, I can't be sure. It, do, it did not seem like a jet. All right, John, I want you to stick with us for just a moment. We're going to get a report of traffic and transit in the, on the ones. Obviously, there are traffic problems resulting from this major disaster. Pete Torriello? That's right, Lee. Anything uh, going into the World Trade Center, is it going to be closing down for only the passes of emergency apparatus? And, of course, anything coming into lower Manhattan is also probably going to be off limits to you or should be at this point because we need as much room as possible to get all of the emergency equipment to the World Trade Center. Keep your radio locked into 1010 Winds. We'll have more on this horrible story coming up. Right now, we are looking at about 45 minutes on the city-bound Lincoln Tunnel, 30 minutes on the Holland, 30 minutes on the George Washington Bridge. Cross Bronx is also very heavy from the Bronx River Parkway all the way into the Jersey-bound upper level of the GWB as that phase of construction work continues. I'm Pete Torriello, Shadow Traffic on 1010 Winds. Winds News Time 902. We've been talking with Joan Fleischer, an account executive at 1010 Winds. Right now, we're going to switch over to Kai Kendall. He saw the whole thing transpire from his vantage point on 14th Street. And again, we're talking about a plane crash into the World Trade Center. Kai, what did you see and what can you see now? 
Uh, well, I saw the, the plane come overhead. I happened to be looking south towards the World Trade Center. There is now another explosion occurring right at this moment in the other building, which means debris has come from it the It appears airplane. another plane yep. just flew into no, the other another plane. Uh, it looks like debris from the plane, which may have hit the other building. There is an explosion at any rate in the other uh, building about uh, 50 feet down. Uh, as I'm looking south to the left. Of course, we would find out that it was another plane. From his vantage point, he could not see the impact. That from 1010 Winds at 9.02 a.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. Glad you're with us on the American Veteran Show as we can pay respects to what happened that fateful day. Well, it's operator 1886. Why was your emergency? Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm on the 106th floor of the uh, World Trade Center. We just had an explosion on the like 105th floor. The 106 floor? Yes. 106. Okay. Um. We have a conference up there. There's about a hundred. What is your last name? H A N L E Y. H A N. We have smoke and it's pretty bad. Most of those people at that meeting. If not, all of them did not get out. You may not know this, but 55 service members were killed in the 9-11 attacks. 33 Navy and 22 Army. 47 Army employees. Six Army contractors. Six Navy employees. Three Navy contractors. Seven Defense Intelligence Agency employees and one Office of the Secretary of Defense contractor. The highest-ranking individual to lose their life at the Pentagon, Lieutenant General Timothy Maud, an Army Deputy Chief of Staff. Ahead on the American Veteran Show, we will take a time out during the program to tell you about a terrific book, and for those of you Vietnam-era veterans... Definitely want to hear the next two segments with author Colin Cahoon. His book, Mended Wings, we'll talk about that. And then we'll be back at the end of the program as we still look back and commemorate 9-11. Glad you're with us on this Sunday. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Stephen Tubbs. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, if you miss an episode, it's only a couple of clicks away. Every episode of the past nearly five full seasons online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. We love having authors on, especially when it comes to military topics, even better when they are United States veterans. Colin Cahoon is uh, from 1983 to 1988. He was active duty, a captain in the United States Army. He was an aviator. He also served in the Texas Guard. His new book is out. It's called Mended Wings. And Colin, welcome to the American Veteran Show, and thank you. Well, thank you, Stephen. It's an honor to be here. Thanks. Likewise, uh, what gets you involved with wanting to to track the Vietnam War experience through the eyes of, of Purple Heart recipients? Talk about it. 
Well, uh, when I was in flight school in 1984 back at uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama, um, all of the instructor pilots uh, that were teaching us at the very beginning were civilians, but they had all been Vietnam vets. And the aircraft that we flew, the Hueys, on the flight line were all old Vietnam warbirds. And you'd walk out there and you'd see the bullet holes had all been patched. They used to use these little, like, one-inch square patches, and they were just peppered, sprinkled with them. And sometimes I'd walk out there with an instructor and he'd look at an aircraft and, and he'd just announce, hey, that's that's the aircraft that I flew in, you know, Da Nang or wherever wow. he was. And um, I thought, wow, you know, what kind of stories these aircraft had and these guys had. Later on when I went to my unit in uh, Fort Ord, California, which was 7th Infantry Division, the um, senior warrant officers and all the field grade officers were all Vietnam vets. I just looked up to them. They were my heroes. They taught me how to be the best Army pilot I could be. They taught me how to be the best officer I could be. And I always wanted to honor them. I always wanted to tell their story, and it just took me a damn long time to do it. In <laughs> fact, I kind of had to break genre from some previous books to finally get around to doing this. But it's been something I've wanted to do for a long time, Stefan. I'm, I'm ashamed that it took this long, but I'm really pleased to, to be able to finally – uh, get down in writing this, what, what to me is is uh, honoring this generation of helicopter pilots. Well, I think it's it's to be commended that, that you'd take the time and look, forget about being embarrassed that it took so long, you actually did it. You can find this book, friends, online at Amazon, Mended Wings, the Vietnam War Experience Through the Eyes of Ten American Purple Heart Helicopter Pilots. You as an aviator, I'm interested to know, Tell me about your experience, but what you learned in interviewing these pilots from Vietnam. I mean, the fact is, these pieces of machinery, they almost become part of you. Talk about that. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. You know, I flew Hueys, the old uh, Vietnam birds, like I said, but I also flew OH-58s, which were the scout, the Belgian Rangers, a little bit more maneuverable. And um, they are, they're like an extension of your body. I mean, particularly when you're flying, flying the smaller aircraft like the uh, OH-58 or the Loach, which is very common in Vietnam. It's almost like you just think that you want to go from point A to point B, and the aircraft kind of goes there. They're extremely sensitive. And I, and I have to tell you, Stephan, that, that the absolute highest praise that I've received since this book has come out is when I have Vietnam vets read the book, and they tell me, I can't believe you weren't there because wow. you absolutely nailed the experience. That is the highest compliment. It, yeah, yeah, it, that that's a great compliment. I and, and it makes me feel like I achieved what I wanted to achieve. But I think when I was visiting with these guys, um, I was kind of like their, I don't know, their kid brother or their, you know, their their super younger cousin. And so as a result, uh, we were able to to get a lot out of these guys that that they just hadn't been willing to talk about before. Did you in writing this book? Did you also serve as maybe counselor? <laughs> That's very interesting that you should ask that because uh, it was a very patient process. Um, a lot of it, I think, was cathartic yeah. for these guys. Yeah. This is the um, Vietnam is uh, Vietnam guys are the telephone generation, so they were much more comfortable on the phone. That's the way they wanted to do things. But I spent between six and twelve hours interviewing each vet. For each chapter, each vet has a chapter of his own. Um, and I did interview some family members, some other pilots that they flew with. I, of course, did a lot of research. But when I'd finish a chapter, Stephen, I would send it back to the vet who was featured in that chapter just to get his input because um, mm -hmm. I really wanted to make them comfortable with it. 
And the funny thing is that some of these guys, I wouldn't hear back from them for four, six weeks, sometimes a couple of months. And when they finally call me back, they would say, you know, Colin, you, uh, thank you very much. You, you, you really did a good job in portraying my life. You got it exactly right. Um, but it's very painful now to, to read it in print and right. to go back over it in that kind of detail. And it, it just took them a while. It was like ripping the scab off. They had to sit back and breathe for a bit. And then sometimes we'd have this discussion where they'd say, now, that said, um, you said you, you told a, a certain episode that I related to you in the book. Um, can we revisit that? Because no one's ever heard this before, not even my wife. And, mm. you know, then we'd have this discussion about, well, obviously your wife needs to read this story. Yeah. You're comfortable with it. Yeah. But, you know, this is, this is not just a story about you. These are 10 examples of a generation. I mean, that, there's a lot of heroes in that generation, but these are representative examples. And I, I, that's what I tried to get across to them is, look, you, this, this episode is very painful for you. You never told anybody before. Would you consider doing it for your generation, not just for you or for me, but for, for all the other guys? And, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times we left things in, and, and on the rare occasions we would compromise and, and we wouldn't put it in there. The book is Mended Wings, the Vietnam War experience through the eyes of 10 American Purple Heart helicopter pilots. You know, you, you talk about them being a representative of their generation. The cover of your book, the old cliche, you know it, you've heard it, don't judge a book by its cover. The two Hueys that are on the cover of your book and you see these warships and you see where somebody would be manning the the gun and and. That just kind of, it's a picture of the generation, don't you think? Yeah, no, I, I love that that picture. I actually insisted on it when we were doing that, the cover design. But And and just, just so the audience understands how this book is structured, um, the, like I said, there are 10 chapters because there's 10 vets, and it spans the entire arc of the war because I put them in order of when these guys were injured. So the first guy was injured in 1966. Mm -hmm. He was actually a Colorado native, and we can talk about him a little bit. Um, and then the last guy was injured at the end of 1972, and all that was really left in Vietnam were, were air crews and air assets. And then um, in the chapter itself, we start with a little snippet. I guess it's kind of a tease of this veteran flying towards what may be disaster or, or getting hurt badly. And as an example, I mentioned the, the, the first chapter of the book is written about a guy named Pruitt Helm, and he uh, grew up in Aurora, Colorado, chapter starts with him flying a C-model Huey gunship, escorting, uh, escorting some infantry insertions into uh, Central Highlands insertions. Um, and they fly into, Stefan, what I can only describe as a any aircraft ambush. Mm. Uh, and as they fly out the other end, the aircraft is, is smoking, it's badly damaged. They're, they obviously could have just left the battlefield at that time, and I don't think anybody would have said anything about it. But that's not how these guys – that's not how they operated. They turned the thing around. They headed back in the kill zone. And as they're flying back towards the kill zone, another helicopter in front of them blows up and explodes in midair. Now, that's when I stop the chapter, and we go back, and we learn about Pruitt growing up in Aurora and going to um, high school in, uh, in, in Aurora. 
uh, let's see, he went to, I think it was George Washington High. Yep, graduated in 1962 from George Washington High, kicked around in uh, Breckenridge for a while, joined the National Guard. We get him up to flight school. He has some antics flying in Korea. We get him back in Vietnam and detroop first to the 10th Cav. Uh, then he shot down and, and spends, I'm not going to get the whole chapter away, but he spends a horrific night in no man's land between the two battling ground forces and, and what it, yeah surreal, and it sounds like what you're day. yeah it sounds like what you're doing is you're really you're giving the reader obviously here here's their life and this is what it was like uh, warts and all we've got to take a break we'll be back with author colin cahoon his book mended wings colin spends uh, part of his time in uh, colorado in steamboat the other part in texas we'll continue with him mended wings the vietnam war experience through the eyes of 10 american purple heart helicopter pilots stay with us this is the american veteran show americanveteranshow.com show we continue now with stefan tubbs welcome back to this week's edition of the american veteran show as we continue our visit with part-time coloradan colin cahoon his book mended wings the vietnam war experience through the eyes of 10 american purple heart helicopter pilots you can find the book now on amazon and as we were finishing up our first segment with you colin the kind of i guess the way you've structured this book, 10 chapters or that are profiled in this, and you do get into their lives. And I just, I can't imagine the courage for these men to so many years later, I mean, we're talking 50 years later, to want to talk with you. And, and I don't know if, if you being a veteran and an, an Army aviator, if that kind of kind of helped a little bit because you could speak their language. I, I think it did, and just uh, you're right. I mean, as an example, we were talking about Pruitt Helm, our, our Colorado veteran, and uh, when he came home, he was a paraplegic. Mm. Um, but I don't just leave you there with him coming home as a paraplegic because his story after that is is almost as amazing, or maybe more amazing, than he went through Vietnam. It's really a story of overcoming adversity and, and excelling, and it's, it's it's a story of triumph. Um, and so I take you all the way up to where he is today, you know, re- retired with his with his wife. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I think it was that common experience that we had. We we could speak the Army language. Um, I know these guys. Uh, you know, I'm I'm 59. So I'm, I was familiar with the Vietnam War as a child mm-hmm. watching it on TV. And, and some of the older uh, cousins that I had and, and stuff were were very much affected by Vietnam. So. Um, I do. I do think it helped to be an Army helicopter pilot, and I, I'm just honored that they did trust me with the kind of details that you'll discover in Mended Wings. You know, I I wonder, and I have not read this book yet, but I wonder, do you get into, or did they offer up treatment post Vietnam? I can't tell you, and I'm sure you have as well. I mean, countless Vietnam veterans I have interviewed in the past, and you know what? It's not too many questions in when. Usually they bring up, they changed out of their uniform once they came back from theater and and they didn't want to put up with the crowds and the anti-soldier um, sentiment and all of that. How do you approach that? 
Well, and, and all of these guys went through that, I, ha I have to tell you. Unfortunately, uh, some of the ones that came back later got it worse than, than others. And when they came back, they told their stories very proudly and rightfully so. I mean, they did a, amazing things, but they were, they were confident and proud of what they said. When this generation came back, I call them the forgotten generation yeah. um, because we, we really treated them very poorly when they came home. Uh, there is an example in the book in my, cha my chapter five that Eddie Hester comes home after experiencing some just awful things in Vietnam, seeing friends killed, being injured himself. And uh, he's walking through the airport at LAX. And back then, you either had short hair, which meant you were in the military, you had long hair, which meant you objected to the military. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he still had short hair. And as he's walking through LAX, a guy comes up and spits on him. Um, and he was only home for a few days when he told his mother, he said, I, I can't stay here. And he ended up going to his next duty assignment in Germany very early because he Although he thought he was coming home, um, home was not very welcome anymore. To me, that you know, you're not too much older than I am, and for for our generation to highlight and capture these stories so that our kids and our grandkids can know these firsthand accounts. I mean, you don't want to hear, you don't want to think. My generation, I think I can speak for you, you don't want to think of Americans treating other Americans with, you know, with uh, spitting some to somebody in the face when they were following orders and they were they were doing what they were told to do. But if we don't document these types of stories, I mean, we know how things can just fade away into into oblivion. That's exactly right. And that was really kind of the goal of this book for me is it is, like I said, it's an homage to this generation of pilots. Mended Wings is uh, sort of my my gift as a writer to the guys who are my my heroes so that we can chron chronicle uh, this and, and make sure that every generation will understand what these guys went through and what their lives were like and that they were – that these are real people. You know, these aren't just um, guys who came back and, and, you, and you can't talk to anymore. These are, are really – outstanding gentlemen, and I think they're a, a great examples of their generation. You can find uh, information on Colin Cahoon. It is C-A-H-O-O-N. That's the last name. He's on Facebook. He's got a website. He's on Twitter as well. His website, Colin, C-O-L-I-N-P, as in Paul, Cahoon.com, and we'll certainly put information out on our social media pages. What we've been seeing over the last weeks out of Afghanistan, uh, I just, I'd be remiss, I think, if I didn't ask you as an Army veteran, as well as an author, and you talked with these men. We remember Saigon 1975, and I know that you have seen the image of a Huey over, or a Chinook, I should say, over the embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan. Your thoughts? Yeah, boy, history kind of repeats itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't have the skin in the game that a lot of veterans did in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, but I, I know that there is a, uh, regardless of your political persuasion or party, I think the Vietnam vets had a, a very, very bad taste in their mouth yeah. about the politics of the war. And, and I suspect that our, I, I can't speak for them, but if I had to guess, I'd say our Afghan veterans probably have that uh, that same bad taste in their mouth at the moment. With you saying that, I, I just wonder, and I on our regular program and on this program as well, in fact, within the last couple of weeks on the American Veterans Show, I've made a point of saying Vietnam veterans recognize that this the images coming out of Afghanistan, they could be a trigger 
and recognize that that this this evacuation, if you will, out of Afghanistan can certainly trigger some things. Uh, and I'm sure you would agree. I mean, even down to, as I say, some of the images coming out of the Middle East. Well, I, I, I hope you're wrong, but I, I don't think you are. Right. I, I think the world is, is a more dangerous place today than it was uh, a month ago, unfortunately. That's just the reality that we're facing right now. Yeah. Let's talk about you have written other books as well. But did this one from from idea to seeing it in print and actually physically holding a copy of, of your creation and what you put blood, sweat and tears in, did this book complete fully what you wanted it to? Yes, it did. I was very pleased with it. It, it, is, uh, it is a completely break in genre. The first two books were um, mystery thrillers with historical fiction background. So it was fiction, and this is, this is nonfiction. I have to tell you, uh, it's, it's harder for me anyway to write nonfiction than it is fiction. And, and I think part of that is just because I wanted to get everything as, as right and accurate as possible. So there was a lot of research that went into this, a lot of time spent trying to get it right. But um, it, it was sort of serendipitous the way everything fell together and the vets all spanned the whole arc of the war. And again, I'm not going to give the book away, but um, chapter 10 uh, at the very end has just an amazing surprise ending that um, I know has brought a, a number of people to tears. Um, and I, again, I'm not going to give it away, but it, I just feel like, for me, when I finished this book, it was it was a very satisfying, complete work of art that I, I felt very proud to be able to present as as my gift to these veterans. Well, I I commend you and thank you for your sacrifice and for you personally wearing the uniform uh, as an Army aviator. I think this, uh, first of all, to our audience. You go on Amazon, again, Mended Wings is the book, five-star reviews right now. So congratulations to that. And I hope certainly the next time you you put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and you write another book, we'll certainly have you on. Well, thank you, uh, Stefan, and, and thank you for all the things you do for veterans as well. Um, you know, I know you spend a lot of time and effort in, in trying to do everything you can for them, and that is appreciated. Well, thank you, sir, and it is our honor, and I think it is our duty. Colin Cahoon, his book, Mended Wings, The Vietnam War Experience Through the Eyes of Ten American Purple Heart Helicopter Pilots. Kudos to Mr. Cahoon for taking the time and bringing these stories to life. We'll continue this week on the American Veteran Show. We'll wrap it up coming up next online, of course, anytime, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Stephen Tubbs. 
Welcome back to the final segment this week on the American Veteran Show. Hope you enjoyed author Colin Cahoon again, his book, Mended Wings. And you can find that on Amazon and at other bookstore locations. We wrap up the show today as we started. A tribute to 9-11. And not to be gratuitous, not to play this audio to try to tug at you and to get you to cry or to get you to maybe not feel good the rest of the day. But, friends, it is so important we remember. When you look at how the 9-11 attacks may, just may, be taught to our high schoolers today, those in college, we need to make sure we remember. And that's what we intend to do. And then all of a sudden, I thought it sounded kind of um, louder, but I looked up, and all of a sudden it smashed right dead into the center of the World Trade Center. Um, big, um, big flash of flame, um, fire coming out from all over. Then the, all the, um, the bricks is a huge hole right now. Um, it almost looked like the plane probably went through. I'm not sure. Winston, can you see, are you on the north side there where the, the plane made uh, contact? Yes, I am. Now, when you say a huge hole, uh, one of our earlier oh. witnesses, Libby Clark, said not much of the plane came down off the building. Much no, of it went totally right in. into the building. It's in the building that, from what you can see. Right. Now, can yeah. you see if there's a lot of debris downstairs, Winston? Um, no, because it looked like it, it inverted. With the impact, everything went inside the building. Inside. Um, the only thing that came out was a little bit of the um, the outside awning, but I'd say the huge the hole is. Let me just get a better look right now. Okay, go ahead. We'll the, um, I'd say the hole takes about looks like six, seven floors were taken out. And there's more oh, explosions there's, oh, right now. Hold on, people are running. Wait, hold, so hold on. on just a moment. We've got an explosion inside. The building's that... exploding right now. you got people running up the street. Okay. Hold on, I'll tell you what's going on. Okay, just uh, put, put Winston on pause there for just a moment. Okay, while the he... whole building just exploded some more. The whole top part. Okay. The building's still intact. People are running up the streets. Uh, am the, I still connected? Winston, this would support probably what Libby and you both said, that perhaps the fuselage was in the building that would cause a second explosion such as that. Well, that's what just happened then. That would that certainly... Yeah, people are um, I, we are getting word that perhaps... Okay, hold on. The, the people here are... Everybody's panicking. All right, Winston, you know, Winston, let me put Winston on hold for just a moment. Okay, I don't know don't... how much longer we're staying. I'm inside of a diner right now. Well, Winston, are... you know what? If you could give us a call back, I just don't want to panic here on the air. Let's just uh, take some of our pictures from News Chopper 7. Now, one of our producers said perhaps... A second plane was involved, and let's not let's not even speculate to that point, but at least put it out there that perhaps that may have happened. Uh, the second explosion would certainly back the theory from a couple of eyewitnesses that the plane fuselage perhaps stayed in those upper buildings. That from WABC Television at 9.02, Tuesday, September 11, 2001. As we mentioned at the beginning of our program, 55 service members were killed, 33 Navy, 22 Army, 47 Army employees, 6 Navy contractors, 6 Army contractors, 6 Navy employees, 7 Defense Intelligence Agency workers, and one official at the Secretary of Defense, a contractor. Those that were killed in 9-11 represented nearly 80 countries around the world. And at the time, of course, President Bush was in Florida 
inside a classroom, he would be told, and then they would rush to Air Force One. My colleague at the time from ABC News, Ann Compton, was on board Air Force One, flown, of course, by some of our most incredible military officials. They raced us in the motorcade to Air Force One, which is already the stairs were gone. They got him up through the quick in, internal stairs. They threw us on the plane, slammed the doors. We rolled a takeoff, and then the Pentagon was hit. At that point, there was no way for George W. Bush to go back to Washington. I know he took a lot of flack for not going back, but you, you can't take Air Force One into a city where a major building like the Pentagon is in flames. We flew for hours on Air Force One in the first, in the bulkhead wall of every cabin, there's a television set recessed into the wall. And back in those days, Air Force One could get a real shaky signal from the ground. And we watched the first tower fall and then the second. We knew we weren't going home anytime soon. We actually refueled it in Louisiana because the plane was out of fuel. We had to get fuel. But they still didn't know where to go. We had jet fighters on every on either wing. My job at that point was to ask Andy Card, and they let, they let the cameras go up and get a picture of the president on the phone back to Washington. He had a couple of secure phone lines, but he had no way to do much of anything either. He's very frustrated. We land in... Uh, Louisiana to refuel, and I fear that they would kick us all off the plane. And I said to Andy Card and to Ari Fleischer, you can't have the president fly off into Wild Blue Yonder in a moment of national crisis. You've got to have the press there. Andy Card allowed me to stay, get back on the plane after the refueling. So the only way I could get that pooled information back to the other reporters who were still on the ground in Sarasota, they weren't going anywhere for days, nothing was flying, and to get it to the broader public was to use this little Motorola flip phone, uh, open it up, call ABC News, and they'd put me on the air with Peter Jennings. And in knowing that the tone of my voice, the way I described what we were being told would would reflect what we were hearing from the president and from the staff. I explained who the president was calling, uh, what he had ordered, uh, that his uh, he had told us in, in Louisiana that he would... Um, that uh, they would bring them to justice. They they will go after those who are responsible for this. We will show the world. ABC's Ann Compton, longtime White House correspondent and correspondent for ABC News. As we wrap up, I had a chance, as we discussed on our regular program last Friday, I had a chance to get to ground zero the following Sunday when the skies opened. And it is an experience I will never forget. We wrap up the program appropriately. For producer Matt Steinkruger, I'm Stephen Tubbs. We'll talk to you next week on the American Veterans Show.
The American Veteran Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Ah, ho, ho, ho. Hey, what's wrong, Santa? Well, it's these elves. The new ones all feel entitled. They don't want to work their way up the ladder. In fact, they hardly want to work at all. Then there's those social justice elves. They keep pointing out everyone's differences, dividing the elves and getting them all riled up. And don't get me started about the reindeer rights elves. The shop floor just isn't the happy little place it used to be. They should have used Red Balloon. That's right, Santa. Redballoon.work is America's woke-free job board. Every day, we help good companies find reliable, motivated job seekers without all the woke nonsense. And our new Red Balloon Recruiter Service is turning traditional corporate recruiting on its head, delivering high-quality employees for a fraction of the price. Give yourself a Christmas gift and post your jobs on Redballoon.work today. And use promo code SALEM to get 10% off your first month's job posting. Because life's too short for a bad hire. 